and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Loveless. I'm Daniel. Hey, everybody. It's an all-Hellboy podcast. It's we're all reading... Hellboy all time. And we're reading some comics and some books. We're reading some books in the book club. <laughs> and every yeah, we're week... nerds. We read books. <laughs> <laughs> and every week, we interact with our amazing listeners, and now Danielle will tell you all about it. Wait, you think it's nerdier to read books than it is to read comic books? <laughs> Graphic novels. Graphic novels. <laughs> I think I think the answer to that question is uh, yes, it is uh, nerdy okay. to read books and, <laughs> right. and comic books. It's fun to be nerdy. It's tr- well, I mean that's true. Uh, so here <laughs> we're gonna do. We're gonna be giant nerd. No, we're gonna read a. We're gonna read a thing. We're gonna tell you what you're gonna read. You're gonna read it. We're gonna talk about it. You're gonna listen to us talking about it, and then you're gonna talk about it too. That's a hey, damn guys, you sent us an email or. Go on the social media if you feel like it. We're going to talk about what you talked about when you were talking about us talking about the thing that we read. And you're going to listen to that and you're going to be like, that's that's what I said. And then we're it's a book club. <laughs> it's a book club and it's friendship. And then we're going to tell you what you read next time and then it's gonna you're going to keep doing that. And that's friendship. That's fun. Ah, there you uh, but, go. But, uh, you know, so back to you, John. Ah, thank you. And I want to mention Ross Radke's Kickstarter. Ross Radke! For stomped book issue, member. yeah. Member. For... Ross Radke has a book. It's stomped. It's number two. It's going to be on a Kickstarter. Go support it because he's yeah. great. Go support it. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, at the time of this recording, he's fifty-five percent funded. Yeah, so good. hey, oh, he's yeah. he's doing great on that. Yeah. I've already contributed, and I hope that you will too. We talk about you know obviously there's a lot of uh, good causes and people who need help and stuff like that, but when we're when you think about, you know, we're supporting independent creators at a time where they've had the least amount of support ever, probably, in recent memory, at least, in, like, recent modern times. There's not a lot of support for independent creators. You know, uh, if you want to see more of that and more people doing that, then that's, this is a good way to... And it's good. He's a good artist. Yeah. He's good. It's good stuff. I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, I hope that this isn't... Uh, I hope Ross doesn't get mad that I brought this up. But somebody actually gave him shit. They were like, oh... You're trying to raise money for your comic in the middle of a pandemic? Like, yes, <laughs> like, yeah. he's trying to do... Like, this is the time that we need stuff like that yeah. more than ever. We, You know what I mean? Like, this is the time... Like, yes, okay, is he raising money for his child who has cancer? No, of course. Obviously, if you have a friend <laughs> with a child who has cancer and they have a GoFundMe up and you can only contribute to one... Yeah, okay, obviously, that's very important. You need to contribute money to that, yes. But... This is also like, look, man, you know, creators, they've got no jobs. They've got no support. They've got no, there's no structures in place to, you know, it's all just like three corporations running absolutely everything and it sucks. So, yes, this is also, I feel like this is also very worthwhile and very important also. So two things can happen at the same fucking time. And all the money goes into making the comic and then if there's any extra money, he uses that money to pay the people that are actually contributing yeah. to the comic yeah, and doing the art and doing the lettering love. and the coloring and everything. So, I mean, you know, People what I mean? Come on. Like, oh, artists, you actually want money for the things, for the work that you do? Shouldn't you do it for the love of your craft? Oh, Literally every uh, fucking really day, mad. every artist That's is bullshit. doing this for the love of their craft. It would also help if they could pay their fucking bills or eat food, you know? Yeah. And we want to yeah. see that. We want to see more creators... Uh, living off their work during the time that they are alive and not just after they're dead. Oh, I'll pay a million bucks for this person's work after they're dead. No, like support living artists. Do it now. Yeah, and I'm not trying to minimize the fact that some people, 
you know, are having a hard time right now. Of but course. if you if you can support the arts, you got to do it. You know what I mean? I, I I suggested you do it, and I think that Ross is an awesome artist. I like his work. I believe in his projects, and I think that um, it's a worthy cause. So and it's yeah, it's the Hellboy Book Club. You know, podcast. So it's like one of those things where it's, of course, we're going to talk about yeah. the related. You know, hey, yeah. this guy, this Hellboy artist has a thing going on. Let's talk about it. And you know, he's a great guy. He's a great artist. Um, we support him and his family. And his efforts and all the artists that are working with him are also great. So, and, you know, having said that, you know, of course, if you're going through a hard time right now yourself, please do not feel, (laughs) please do not feel obligated to, you know, chip it. You like take care of yourself first, obviously. But yeah, if you've got any scratch left over, uh, give it a look. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing, though. I mean, that feels like the kind of person who would just troll no matter what. Like, (laughs) he, he, no, he's like, oh, there's a pandemic. You're trying to raise your money. But if it wasn't a pandemic, he'd be like, oh, it's because there's an asteroid coming. Yeah. Uh, You know, people are just looking to be assholes online. Sure. It's It's the same old. I don't understand. Yeah. It's the same old thing. Like, well, you can't possibly care about two things at once. Well, yeah. I mean, I I can and I will. So, actually, I can. Yeah. I actually I didn't know about that, so that is frustrating to hear about that. But it's just that that kind of shit is just. So How dare stupid. you read a book and talk about it when there are starving children in yeah. a different like? Yeah. I know that's bad. I I agree that that is a bad thing. I mean, but I mean, it's I just, don't know what, that's not helping. Yeah. And if you want to support the show, you know, um, it's totally free. You can leave a review. Um, leaving a review is the best way to support our show. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can do it right in the app. Or you can share you us can. on social media. You can follow us on all the social media guys. And uh, we really appreciate that. So retweet us, share our posts, and all that good stuff. Or we also just, like, if you're, you know, just interact with us, like, make a friend. Interact with the other people who are listening to the, you know, write a little email or talk about... Hey, you didn't pronounce that word right. We always love to pronounce <laughs> words right. Yeah. Citizen intro. Corner. We we'll haven't done the intro. We haven't done intro corner for a while though. Of like, hey, oh, yeah. I got an introduction for the show. I'm gonna do. Yeah. Um. Send us a little introduction to the show, or do the little Danielle. Yeah, thing you do where, it. I'm yeah, tired of it. It would be great. Yeah. Or send in a song. Send <laughs> in a song. We always love that. Send in an intro to the show. That is a yeah, song. I was, actually, I was uh, listening to that Modus Fire Hell on Earth uh, song good. again last night. That whole album's pretty, that album's rock. There you so. go. Yeah, awesome. And um, you can also follow me on Book Club Member Comics. I'm sharing a lot of horror comics. I pulled out all my horror comics for right. Halloween times, right. and so I'm sharing those on social media if What's you want to check again? out some it's of those. Book Club Member Comics. Yeah, on Instagram. On Instagram. And you can also check out onlybees.com if you, you want to support it, the band. Ah, you could. You could do that. I have some shouts out for this week. Shouts out. I want to thank Ryan Bolton hey. for sharing a post on our page. Ryan Bolton. Book club member. Yeah, Ryan yeah. Bolton. He got his shapes tattoo. Hey, yeah. He got it, it for us. Great. Yeah, that was great. really cool. I really liked his version of it. Um, I already have my design lined up for yeah, when we can go nice. do that. So, yeah, thank you, Ryan, for sharing that. And, yeah, if you have any um, Hellboy-related tattoos or you have some shapes tattoos, you know, post them on our page. I'll repost that stuff. Nice. And I also wanted to thank O. Renee. He was the artist that I was sharing those Koshki comics from. He posted one and he dedicated it to us and to Aww. the podcast. And it was what? really good. Um, so, you know, when Koshki, he's all possessed by the Baba Yaga's right. magic. Right. And he's getting like his last bit of breath from her. And then she right. says Rasputin. And yeah. then he says Rasputin. Well, instead of that, he says Halibut. Yeah. Remember from uh, Hellboy in Hell, the sure, golem sure. that's obsessed with all the fish. Right. And so he says Halibut and Hellboy goes, 
don't get me started on that guy yeah. or whatever. Anyway, it was really good. Oh, I saw good that. Stuff. That was nice. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, O Renee, for the shout out and the love. Good stuff. O Renee, book club member. Book club member. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Get out, trade some floppies. Get out, hardback copies. Digital is fine. Read along the time. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from A.T. Johnston. Hey, it's A.T. Johnston. Football member. That's right. He went through and he had notes for all these episodes. Oh, wow. Like going oh back like a long ways. <laughs> and so some of this stuff, like I had to like actually go bust out my omnibuses and like see what he was talking about because I had no idea. I was like, wait a minute. What is he even talking I about here? I promptly forget absolutely everything that we talk about as soon as we're done recording this. So I, I can identify with that. So we talked a little bit back in like the BPRD days, we were talking about the elsewhere. Remember it would show sure. like King Dogda and all of them watching them. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He said, uh, it's true that those fairy types were portrayed from way early, but I never thought they lacked for context. I always just figured they had a lens on various doings and goings. From their interstitial little chill zone perch. Okay. Yeah, and and uh, we talked about that a little bit with the Koshki comic too. It's a chill zone. Yeah, I would hang there. Regarding our Hellboy in Mexico episode, you know that was the episode where we had a little bit too much to drink. Apparently, at one point we talked about that there should be a Hellboy RPG. There should. Oh my god. I That's yes. Fucking we. I funded that Kickstarter. Yeah. So there is going to be one. <laughs> but he also said that there was an El- Hellboy RPG already by Steve Jackson Games a bunch of years back. Oh. Yeah, he said it's a great book if you want to do a D&D style BPRD game with pencils yes. and dice. I highly recommend it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that is cool. But I think rather I'm just going to wait for the new one to come out right. that Kickstarter's doing. <laughs> okay. And Man, my, my, my late brother-in-law was really into Steve Jackson games. He used to talk. We used to talk about those stuff all the time. Oh, okay. And, yeah, I can't wait for that Kickstarter content to come out. I'm sure it'll be kind of in line with the D&D stuff. Regarding BPRD Hell on Earth New World Seattle, so remember um, there was a British Columbia town in that story called Marakios, and that was like a fictional place. I couldn't find any reference to that, but he said it's actually an anagram of a real town called Karameos in the interior Okanagan Valley area. Yeah, so that was interesting. That's a deep dive there on that one. I kind of remember that 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 story starred... um... Jiroko? Jeroko, yes. That was the first time we were introduced to her, yeah. Yes, but we were hinted at her earlier. Right. And then, um, remember BPRD, Abyss of Time, that was the first time that we got Howard's. That was when, oh, um, yeah. okay. you know, that was when he found the sword and he touched it and then he was transported to the Galdinar era. So I thought this was a really neat detail. They show in the flashback, you know, Galdinar... He goes to the, or I guess it's his father. It's Galdinar's father because he's the one that has a sword first. He goes to this like abandoned ancient town and he finds the sword there. And then when he picks it up, he's like imbued with this ghost or whatever. It goes into his arm. We talked about that. Ghost arm. Yeah. Uh So when he goes into that town, A.T. Johnson said, look at the first statue above the text box. And so if you look at that, I never noticed this. The statue looks like the statue from Hyperborea 
that has the right hand of doom inside it. Oh, okay. They show it a couple times. They showed it like in Frankenstein Underground, and they showed it in the island. And then you see it there too, but it's kind of like the side view oh, of it. Okay. And I never noticed that before, so I thought that was pretty nice. cool. Nice. Okay. And that then is he, a good detail. And he also said um, when he picks up the weapon, he cuts himself on it. Uh-huh. And then it bleeds, and you see the blood like go into the remains. And that's like a little detail. Sure. That, like, we never really Did picked up on. Did we not catch on. that? That seems like a big deal. Yeah. Okay. He also said um, the room being a key intersection, that Chicago basement, he said, we're talking about Genius Loci. There's a gorgeous story called Genius Loci, which you can read on the excellent Smith fan site by Clark Ashton Smith. And you can bet your Shagoth Mignola has read it, too. And so that talks about, like, kind of these places... We've talked. This has come up in Mignolaverse before. Yeah. In the Mignolaverse before, where there's like certain spots, yeah. where you can like the veil is it's thin bit, between yeah, worlds sure. and stuff like that. For sure, it's a fascinating phenomenon. Just as there are said to be thin times, like May Eve and Halloween, there are thin places too, sure. and thin places among thin places. One such place I have visited and can attest to a special energy: Hornby Island in British Columbia. It's a special place, and I really do not have words for it, despite. Nice. Being a writer, truly magical is about the best I can do. You just have to feel it. There's a lot of plots that are predicated on being in a thin place at a thin time and having that be the basis of some sort of adventure. Yeah, I mean, we I saw that in the Frankenstein Underground yeah. series, too. Regarding BPRD cometh the hour, he, he just wanted to give you a shout out, Danielle, for using the words... Concrescence and demiurge. Ah, yes. Uh, fun words to use in almost any context. When we talked about Hellboy and Hell, Chapter 9, The Spanish Bride, you know, there's a part where Hellboy starts fighting and it cuts to a narration. Like, it's like, right. here we go. I was born in this and this. And he's like, kind of, and he talked about how that harkens back to Seed of Destruction, where there was a lot of right. um, that kind of narration text box stuff, which we didn't really see a lot in the series. But I like that it kind of harkens back to that. And we had talked about when Hellboy was impaled on the tree. You know, there's the blood, and then later it's the fire. Sure. He said maybe Mignola's saying that the power of blood is the secret fire. There was a really neat transition that he pointed out to me in the Hellboy in Hell. So at the very end where it shows Hellboy, you know, he walks through the city and he finds that house. Sure. Remember? So as yeah. he's walking through the city, we see the magician and the snake statue, and there's all these, like, papers flying by. Uh-huh. And then in the next panel, it's birds. Yeah. And we, I don't think we pointed that out, but it's oh, like a did we one pa- as one panel transitions to the other, it's almost like those floating papers turn into like They're little birds. birds flying off. Yes. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, I dig that. Regarding the visitor, he said, we were talking about Michael Mathers. He said this might be a conscious nod to McGregor Mathers of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And so I did look that up. That's different from the Golden Dawn political party yeah, that are a bunch say, of shitheads. Uh, yeah. That's a completely different thing. Okay. But um, there is a secret society called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, and the guy was McGregor Mathers. Named, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I thought that was interesting. Sure. It could also just mean Mike Mignola, too, the MM. We talked about right. that. Yeah. And then regarding Frankenstein Underground, <laughs> we talked about Eugene Remy. He said this might be similar to Alephis Levy, whom Crowley claimed to be the reincarnation yeah. of. Yeah. Um, and then in Frankenstein Underground, where it shows Tefnut Trionis, he said that panel of her on the couch is totally a pastiche of the portrait of 
Fedra Barra. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I didn't nice. catch that. So I'll have to go back and check that out. Great. I love those kind of parallels yeah, that's that when we, whenever we see those artistic parallels. That's why it's a book club. We rely on a lot of people to point out yeah. a lot of stuff <laughs> that we're too uncultured to recognize. And then on Frankenstein Underground, we talked about how Frankenstein's dead, and so he can see things like Hellboy does. Or he's undead. And you, well, you said he's several dead. He's several dead. <laughs> and so he really, he said he got a good laugh out of that one. Yeah. That's it until I decipher some of my rough notes on earlier episodes. Well, thanks very much for that. Yeah, he said thanks for all the amazing stuff you damn guys bring into my life and Aww. add to this wonderful community. Aww. All blessings, AT Book Club member. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, thank you, AT, for that comment. Uh, you did mention that you were going to send that letter. And also, thank you for that piece of art you sent me. I, um, I haven't had a chance to see it yet because, you know, John and I actually do live about 45 minutes away from each other. Yeah. And there's the whole pandemic thing going yeah, on. Pandemic. And then I told John not to send me a picture of it because I, I kind of want to see it. Uh, he told me it was a map, and I actually like maps, so I'm kind of excited about this. I'm looking forward to it, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see it. So thank you so very much. Yeah, I actually haven't seen Aubrey in a while. Um, we really miss you, man. Yeah, and I actually, yeah. I have a stack of stuff for you the I next know. time that I see you. So we'll have to like arrange like a drive-by or a meetup. But yeah, thank you, A.T. Yeah. He sent that along with our awesome Frankenstein book. Yes. And so you're so such an awesome guy. Yeah, thank you so much. You're super awesome guy. Thank yeah, you thank so you. much. Very special. And we really value you as a book club member and also your friendship. Yeah. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Lasse Jurgensen. Hey, Lasse Jurgensen. Book club member. That's right. He said, I haven't really been paying much attention to the Hellboy novels in the past, and I haven't read Bones of Giants either, but let me tell you that your walkthrough and discussions are really great, even if I haven't read the book. (laughs) I never thought of that, but yeah. I mean, you should read the book, though, because Christopher Golden is, like, amazing. Okay, wait, so you're listening to the book club without having ever read the source material at all. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, I wonder just how that with would the go. book, I think. That's what I'm saying. I wonder how that would go. Yeah. Like, I wonder... <laughs> I guess it's good. I, I guess. Don't know. I, don't, I don't know. He said, as a Dane, Norse mythology is something we are taught in school, nice. and it is prevalent in popular culture, both TV and movies and other art forms. That's great. There's a particular comic series called Valhalla from the late 70s that ran up until 2009. Wow. That had 15 albums in total and a cartoon movie. That series made Norse mythology really accessible to kids. It has been translated to a bunch of languages, mainly other Scandinavian languages, but I don't think English is one of them. Sounds fucking awesome. Yeah, he sent me a link to the comic, so I'll have to check that out. Cool. He said, even if you don't subscribe to the modern version of the religion... Very few do in Denmark. Mm. Viking symbolism is still important in terms of heritage and history. It is important to note that there are no continuous practices of Viking faith from the Viking age. The modern faith that is inspired by the old faith is not much older than 30 years. But no matter the faith, no one likes to have their symbols used by fucking Nazis. Yeah. Project Ragnarok, that is not yours to claim, you Russian fool. Yeah. Best wishes from a longtime book club member, Lasse Jurgensen. Excellent. Very illuminating. Oh, man. That was so awesome. Yeah. I want, but 30 years, that doesn't seem like very long. You would think it would be more than that. I wonder, because I also wonder, like, how much of that is we don't talk about anything other than Christianity because pagans are. We want to stamp out all pagans. I wonder if there may or may not have been some sort of low-grade undercover, you know, practice well, of of this spe- specific type of different veins of paganism. I'm sure that there had to be a, some kind of I don't know, but that's that's interesting. Well, I find it interesting because about 30 years ago is when I actually started first hearing about paganism and Wiccan 
and different kinds of religion okay. other than Christianity mm-hmm. and all that. So maybe it's just a coincidence. I don't know. Yes, but it's 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 interesting to hear from someone who actually lives over there that, yeah. when, like, growing up, that you're like, oh yeah, paganism is just like we teach you about these various things and the symbolisms everywhere. It's very prevalent and all this sort of thing, and that's super cool. I I I, I like that. That's that's nice to um, get that perspective. That's interesting. Yeah, that is really interesting. I'd like to learn more about that. We had some feedback on our Bones of Giants discussion on the last two episodes. Jerry Turnbull said... Jerry Turnbull. Book club member. Book club member. We talked about Tolkien was inspired a lot by the Norse mythology. Sure. Well, and Jerry said Tolkien got all his dwarf names and Gandalf from a 10th century Norse poem called Valispa. Hey. And he posted the whole poem. Nice. I'm not going to read oh, that. Wow. I'm, I'm going to spare you sure, guys sure. me trying to pronounce but all those names. That, it's Googleable, is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. And he, well, he posted it in the comments okay. too on our Facebook discussion. And there are all those names in there, That's including great. Gandalf, oh, hey. which is really interesting. He said, Tolkien is a great interest of mine. And Jerry posted all his Tolkien books. He has a huge oh, library nice. of these awesome books, including his Deckled Edges book. And stuff like that. He posted pictures of those. They're really cool. And um, one of them, you know, he opened it up. It had this really like elaborate, beautiful, like elven design cover. Wow. And then he opened it up, and on the inside, it had like. the the script on that first page looks exactly like when Frodo writes it. So I'm wondering, like. So dope. Which came first? Sure. Did they take that to use it for the movie and they said, oh, we're going to make it look just like this? Or did they go. Oh, let's make it look like it did in the movie. I would put I I would uh bet on them trying to make it look like it did in the movie, okay. but I don't actually know because I, I thought it was really cool. Yeah. I want to go look at this. Thing. Yeah, That's go neat. to our Facebook sure. comments for our discussion of our last episode. You can see Maybe all those I awesome. Maybe I will for you can the see first those... <laughs> time ever. I might actually do that. You can see all the awesome pictures that Jerry posted. So thank you for sharing your library. Yeah, that that's was super so cool. Nice. I love looking at all yeah, that. Thank you. I love looking at a, a hand calligraphied deckled edge. Oh yeah, book. Super nice. We also heard from Hayden Orr. Hey Hayden Orr, book club member. That's right, book club member. He said, Roasted Peanuts, another great episode, you damn guys. <laughs> Just a quick tidbit before I forget, if I'm remembering correctly, Hellboy smelling like peanuts is why Professor Broom's secretary, Margaret, calls young Hellboy Peanut, yeah, uh, which is adorable. Cute. Yeah, super cute. I never thought about that. And all this peanut talk has me hungry, hungry for some boiled peanuts, or as mm. many people in the South call them, Boiled peanuts. Boiled peanuts. No. <laughs> boiled peanuts. Uh, have you guys had? Have I, you guys had boiled? I don't peanuts? know if I've ever eaten a boiled. No, peanuts. I've never had that. I don't know if I've ever. Okay, so those. when I was in uh, high school, I was hanging out with this guy, and he's all like, "Hey, do you, I have some boiled peanuts. You want some?" I'm like, man, these look gross. He's like, "Just try it." And I was like, "Fine, I'll try it." And I was just like, "Holy shit, this stuff is amazing." Okay, and I'll put we, that on the list we, of things to try. These are like homemade boiled peanuts, so I don't know about home boiled. Exactly. Oh, okay. Home boiled. He also said, but to Danielle's point, that there must be some random outliers related to the Watchers or Ogdruhem when it comes to gods and mythological figures. I totally agree. Thinking about it more, it would make sense if characters like the Baba Yaga and the Fey Beans, like the Dogda, were born out of the Earth's natural magic. In fact, Koshki's Dragon Dad says in the miniseries that the Baba Yaga is of the Earth. And in Darkness Calls, Baba Yaga says she would tolerate no gods in her Russia before having him killed, even though she is arguably as strong as a god herself. So I think Danielle is definitely right that some creatures are beings 
are just weirdos born out of random magical fuckery. <laughs> yeah. But I still like to think that the big name gods and goddesses of the Mignolaverse either are or have some relation to the Watchers sure. or Ogdra. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think all of that is um, part of it. It's all one big pot of magical weirdness. Yeah, Niklas chimed in. Yeah, Niklas. It's great to hear from all of our <laughs> our uh, our regulars, our, our Norse our Norsemen. Yeah, that we've got. He said, "Oh, you turned into." Those vintage obsessed hipsters that tries to be old school. What? You're too cool to read comics now. Oh shit! <laughs> look, look, look! This there's, there's it's a heavily illustrated book. Yeah, I will say that <laughs> we've so. got lots of pictures to look yeah. at. He well, said, "Let's be let's be honest. I'll never be cool enough to not read comics." <laughs> <laughs> he said that he'll have a bigger commentary when we're finished. But he also said, "P.S. What's so hard about making crepes?" That's the first thing you learn in cooking class. I guess I'm the only oh, person who is damn. too stupid to make a fucking crepe. I remember. Uh, well, Dan- D- Daniel, I can't make crepes. <laughs> I I just it seems like it would be difficult. Maybe I'm building that up to be something harder than it really is. I don't know. And he said, "Why do you pronounce them like that?" Oh shit! So I guess there's another pronunciation. Here's another pronunciation corner where we could learn something. Let us know how to pronounce did he, crepes did right. He put. No, he didn't. <laughs> we also heard from Jason Abaddon. Jason Abaddon. Book club member. He said, some of my favorite Hellboy art are the spot illustrations Mignola made for Bones of Giants. They're good. Perfect and weighty for a cold, rainy afternoon indoors reading. Ah, uh, yes. No surprise, Abe is a big Sting fan. Sting <laughs> writes a lot of sea metaphor songs and even has an entire album of sea-related songs. The Soul Cages, a depressing album about losing his father. So I guess maybe that's the C-related album. Oh, Have you ever heard sad. that one? No, I'm not trying to mock anyone for losing their father, but you know. He also said, if you haven't already, read American Gods by Neil Gaiman for great depictions of the Norse gods, including Ratatos the Squirrel. Yeah. Very cool. We love a squirrel god. I actually have the audiobook for that. I'm going to be listening to it soon. Nice. Okay. I made a post and I said... In this novel, we learn that Abe listens to Sting and eats macadamia nuts. And at Skulldago on Twitter said, finally the real good lore. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Skulldago, the book club member. Yeah. At Seeker99 on Instagram said. At Seeker99 on Instagram. Book club member. That's right. They said, you know, I've noticed that Mignola hasn't tackled Polynesian Hawaiian mythology yet. Uh-huh. I mean, he's tackled Arthurian legend, German and Russian folklore, Scandinavian folklore, the occasional Lovecraft monster, and me- demons from Christian mythology, and yet not once has he tackled the various Polynesian gods or Maui yet. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, let's get one of those. And I want to give a big thanks again to William Tunholm for his awesome lesson in Swedish yeah. pronunciation. William Tunholm. Oh, thank you. That was that was wonderful. I shared that on our social media this week, and everyone seemed to love it. it lovely. Jerry Turnbull said, "That's fantastic." That's been a highlight in this whole thing. I yeah. will say stuff like that really makes my fucking day. That's just it's a highlight of the book club for sure. Jesper Duffy said, Det var fint, which translates to, that was nice. Aww. That's a language I would like to fucking learn. It's just neat. Yeah. Nicholas Orzaga said, hashtag book club member, hashtag friendship. Drew Campbell said, Drew Campbell. Pronunciation Corner just got a serious upgrade. Yeah, for nice. sure. He's, he's upped the bar. He's, yeah. <laughs> he's raised the bar. So now I don't, wanna, I don't want anything else unless it's a fully, completely... You know, there was production value. I know. In it was that. Nice. There was some editing there. Yeah. And Clayton Schofield said, Clayton this is. Clayton Schofield. 
Book club member. And all of you guys are book club members. Yeah. <laughs> he said, this is simply great. Thank you, William. Yeah, thank you so much. That was, that was nice. awesome. That was a highlight of the week. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. This week, we're continuing our discussion of Hellboy, The Bones of Giants. This is a Hellboy novel that was published in November 2001, written by Christopher Golden and illustrated by Mignola. Today, we're reading chapters 10 through 13. As we open chapter 10, in the aftermath of the battle with Thrym and the Svartalves, all the snow melts in the clearing and Pernilla Eichmann mourns her dying father. Yeah, there's actually a lot of, there's several pages dedicated to this. Yeah, and we get a nice illustration of her too, which I thought was interesting. It's good to see what she looks like. It's nice, I like it. Across the clearing, Hellboy stood and gazed off in the direction Thrym had fled. Pernilla had glanced up at him only once, but there was something about the way that he held himself in the starlight that seemed different. Even in the few days since they met, the knit of a limb were down on one knee, heads bowed out of respect for her, as an acknowledgement of those among them who had died and of the death that was about to occur. Right, and like, they just lost, like, some guys, and so I feel like that's also, you know, like... Yeah, sure, like, her dad is dying, but he was also kind of a dick, so I I don't know. Yeah, but it does talk about, like, she thinks of all the moments from her childhood, you know what I mean, with her dad growing up, so it really adds, like, a lot of weight to this scene to think about those kinds of things. A seed of dark desire within him that had been represented for decades by the large hole through the center of his hand, the one burned there when he tried to claim the gold of King Vold, but even that horrid reminder had not been enough to prevent him from falling victim to his greed again. Edmund Eichmann had taken a draught from the tankard of Thrym out of his lust for power and wealth, and by doing so, he had invited evil into his body. It had drained him, leached the life from his body, far too powerful for his frail human shell to contain. Now it was going to kill him, and he had no one to blame but himself. She's like whispering to him as he's dying, and so he's he's like murmuring something, and she's lowering her ear to like listen to it, but it's like you know to her it seems like it's just gibberish like nonsense words or a language she had never heard before and so and then he dies after she's done dealing with that she gets up and she's talking about oh where's thrym and hellboy's like ah i don't even i don't even know she's like well we gotta we gotta get on this and so i'm gonna bury my dad but then we're gonna get on this and they're like yeah okay sure you bury your dad and then we'll we'll get on with this for a second for a second i was like y'all just gonna leave him there Right. He just. Uh, you mean like there's a pre- you have to do like a procedure, but no, they're like, oh yeah, we'll have the funeral and then we'll go, and so it's that's where we're at now. I thought that was interesting too, because like Abe cries too, and it's like, is right. he crying because of the death or is he crying because she's crying? Sure, you know what I mean and stuff like that. A lot I thought just that was happened interesting. too. Yeah. Like it's a very you know there was a lot going on, so it's it's cool. And Hellboy is even like ah Abe is you know. He's real emotional about this. Is it because of her? What's going on? And so that kind of continues. We see that again like later in the story. We're not there yeah. yet, but later he's like, ah, I wonder what's going on with that. Brock and E-Tree say that them and the rest of the dwarves can go after Thrym, so Hellboy tells them to go off and follow right, that trail. Right, he's going to try and track him down. Then they begin to walk through the forest, Hellboy carrying her father in his massive arms like a sleeping child. But Edmund Eichmann was not asleep. And as far as Pernilla was concerned, he would not be truly at rest until Thrym was destroyed at last. So I got to admit, like, this whole part of the chapter here, it just seems like... I got I kind of skimmed over a lot of this, just because it just seemed like, okay. It was very transitional. It was very like, oh, my dad's dead. Oh, what are we going to do next? And it's like, all right, I get it. Right. This next part, though, I kind of perked up like, oh, what's going to happen This part here? was fucked up to so me. So amazing. Let, let, let's get into yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, as soon as it was like, oh, in the basement of this thing... 
uh, Frederick Clark pinched an unlit oh. cigarette. So this this whole I'm like, oh, I'm immediately interested of like, oh, what's happening in this yeah. scene? I immediately am like, this is gonna pick up, and I was not disappointed. And I do have to throw in my trivia here. They talk about the Riddar Home Hospital. I couldn't actually find a hospital in Riddar Home. This is a small inlet in central Stockholm, Sweden. The island forms part of the Gamlestan, the old town, and houses a number of private palaces dialing back to the 17th century. The main landmark is the church, and the church did have a hospital in it at one time in the 1500s. Okay. So I did have to throw in that little bit of trivia. And so we come back to Frederick Clar. He's that stiff government official. Yeah, this is immediately he, interesting. And he's overseen this autopsy on the remains of Thor. We learn that Clar has held his position over three prime ministers for his expertise and calm. And they talk about the remains are so big that an additional gurney has been brought in to support the legs. The skull was easily twice the size of a human head. The hands like those of a gorilla. The femur as thick around as a lamppost. And Clar thought of the hammer. We see that he's just like waiting behind a glass partition. You know, he's kind of like watching into the autopsy room as they're performing this autopsy. And he's just sort of like waiting impatiently. And it just really sets the scene. And yeah, yeah this, I mean, this whole section is super good. Reading from the book. Clar had seen a number of strange things, freakish oddities and monstrosities, things that should not exist, but did. None of them, even Hellboy, had made him doubt for a moment his faith in God. Now he stood behind a glass partition and gazed duly into the glistening steel and tile autopsy room and wondered just exactly what the hell the doctors were cutting up in there. Right, and so they're taking all these samples and they're... In his mind, they're taking their sweet time, right? Like, they're doing this... How long could science possibly take, you know? But... Obviously, it's like, yeah, this is something they don't know what it is. They've never seen it before. It's kind of weird. They're going to be working on this for a while. So he's a little bit impatient and doesn't really understand why they're taking so long. And he's getting kind of pissed because he's thinking about all this shit. He's thinking about the hammer. And he's getting more and more agitated. Right. Uh, thinking about, oh, what what the fuck is this hammer? What am I going to do about it? You know, the PM wants it back. And as far as I'm concerned, I don't understand what the... You know, so it's just very... He's getting more and more agitated thinking about, well, what's the, what does this mean I thought there was one God, and now it turns yeah. out that there's all kinds of stuff going on. And so it's very, he just, in in his mind, he's just getting more and more worked up about this. And so... Um, he's going to, like, smoke a cigarette, and then he breaks yeah, it in I half. Gonna, but then I take like, out oh, another I'm cigarette. So another why did cigarette. I even break the original one in half? I don't know. And so... He thinks about his yeah. wife and his little girl at home. That's, like, the one thing that he sure. has to hold on to, you know? So he finally gets impatient enough to um, to tap his knuckles, right? To knock on the the window and the doctor looks up and is kind of pissed off like what the fuck and they're like you don't have to stay and he's like yeah you can you don't have to stay you can get out of here and he's just like oh continue then I guess with your stupid science he like, rolls his very, eyes yeah. yeah and so um you know there's just very like uh he takes a long drag of a cigarette and he's just kind of like yeah go ahead and keep going and so the doctor turns back to the remains the skeleton setup yeah it just kind of hits you like they just he just throws that sentence in there like. Uh, yeah, the doctor shook his head and turned back to the remains to keep working. The skeleton set up. To me, like, that is such a fucking excellent yeah. bit of writing there. It's just, there's no preamble. There's no, and then suddenly it's just the skeleton set up. Exactly. Like, and also, you know, in the, in, in, in the audio book too, because I know Aubrey also listened to the audio book, like, it, it had that same effect. Yeah. Where it's just like, wait, what? Yeah. What, what are you talking about? The skeleton set up. Like, oh, was... yeah, I should mention I'm reading the book and they're listening to the audiobook. So yeah. I, if it had the same effect, I guess that's really good that the, the, the narrator was able to um, get that across effectively. But 
Yeah, man. So like, uh, I was like listening to the audiobook, and I, you know, he was just talking about, you know, his day, and I'm like, this is a guy that's been getting Hellboy shit for the whole book. Yeah, sure. And, and I'm just it's like, cool to see like, into his hammer. mind. So, it's so cool he, to like hear or, so, or read so what nice he's to, thinking about. You know, it's, it's nice to see us get into his mind, and then the skeleton set up, and I'm like, what the wait, right. what? <laughs> I'm all like, because I'm driving to work, listening to this, and I'm all like, <laughs> da, 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 and what? Good thing I was at a light. Yeah, to me, there's no, there's no better way to do shit like that than just suddenly chaos, and uh, I think Christopher Golden really nailed it there. And so, you know, that everyone's freaking out. What's going on? All the instruments are flying yeah. all over the place. I love this sentence here. One of its skeletal hands clasped suddenly to its chest with a rattle of bones, and the other clutched at the air, stared down at its empty hand as though it could not believe the hammer was not there. So it reaches for the necklace. It's looking for the pendant and the hammer, and it's like, wait a minute. The towering corpse opened its jaws as if to shout, but no sound came out. Teeth clacked together. Its mouth should not have worked at all. There wasn't enough muscle left tethering the bones together for it to have moved at all without falling apart, but it was moving nevertheless. Dark, horrible magic. They're running for the door. The assistant and the doctor are like trying to get out of there. And the skeleton, it says the skeleton lashed out with incredible speed. Its bony fingers tangled in his hair and hauled him back. The doctor screams. Clara is saying, oh, he probably thinks we're the enemy that we took his hammer, that we did all this. And so he like rips the doctor's face off. Yeah. The man went down in a heap on the ground, bleeding and screaming, but hideously alive. Don't like that. Skeleton (laughs) grabs the assistant snaps his neck people are trying to get in because they hear this shit going on something rumbled in the air and in the autopsy room and the glass partition shook it might have been thunder condensation beat it up on the inside of the window and tiny wisps of hair on the shambling thing's head stood up as though electrified so it's thor yeah it's thor's corpse and and it like has some thunder and lightning sure, power absolutely. still left in it even though he doesn't have the hammer he doesn't the pendant. have yeah that is uh, so cool Mjolnir. Uh, am I saying that right? Mjolnir. He doesn't have. Mjolnir. He doesn't have Mjolnir. I'm trying so hard. If I were to listen, to, if I were to actually listen to that pronunciation corner that was sent in over and over and practice that over and over, but I haven't. I, and I apologize. It, it really does sound so very close to the way that we pronounce it. Mjolnir. Yeah. It, it's just like it's just like there's one syllable that we haven't been able to. Slot I in, honestly would right. love to learn that language. It's it's really nice to listen to. The part that Danielle just read, you know, it, there's like another sentence right after that said. I was about to say, you know, yeah, I was about to continue. Where Clark's no, all like, ahead, yeah. "Oh, please no!" Right. He whispered as he backed towards the door, thinking of his daughter. And I was all like, "It kind of made me start to kind of humanize with the character." Nice. Nah, talking about his kid and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> exactly. But, no, this was the first point where I kind of like didn't think that maybe he was such a dick. Uh, like, guy sucks. Is what it says. It glances up at him, empty eye sockets, dead, but somehow filled with contempt. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Golden is trying to humanize him for sure. The other government officials come rushing in, and they all freak out. Clark puts pulls out his semi-automatic. There's only one God, and you're just a soldier, and your time was long ago, he says. <laughs> and then together they all shoot at the thing, and it shatters all the glass and everything. In the aftermath, Clark starts thinking about his job. And he's like, oh, the prime minister's not going to be happy about this. And he starts planning his report and what he's going to say. Right. Like, that's what he's thinking about. The, oh, the prime minister's not going to be very happy about this. Well, he's, you know, he's had his job okay, for three man. prime ministers. Like, so he's like trying to think of. This is a guy who cannot well, think about the implications of this or his entire fucking world will come crashing down around him. And he just he cannot think any further than all oh, the prime minister is not going to be happy about this or else 
he will probably go insane. Like he will lose his grip on reality because these things have to be in place for him to continue or it just, he can't go on. Right. It's interesting. I, I like that he's written that in, it's baked into this character. Yeah. So, you know, like I said, like, you know, I was like on board with him. He's all like, you know, cause he's, you know, he's thinking about his daughter and he's about to die. But then his first response is like, you know, clean it up. Um, I'm going to make up this cover story that the, yeah. the doctor was in league with black marketer Tomb Raiders who wanted to steal this archaeological discovery. He attacked Dr. Tigley, who fought back, broke his mile's neck in the process. The remains were destroyed. I'm all like, dude, you just burnt all your fucking goodwill. Right yeah, there. that's exactly <laughs> what I was going to say, Aubrey. I'm glad you brought that up because as quickly as you sympathize with this guy... Then you're like, oh, wait, he's a piece of shit. No, nah, he didn't uh, fool me for a second. This guy sucks. There's another part where he's like, given that they did not know what tests upon the hammer would reveal, in some ways it would be better if Hellboy never returned with the hammer. Clark would have to see what could be arranged. He's already thinking of cover-ups. So he's I'm already like, man, that's this. fucked up. Sure. He's talking about, oh, what's this going to mean for theology and anthropology? What's it going to mean? And then he's like, no, we cannot have this. We yeah. cannot have the truth come out. I don't want the things that I like to be disassembled, even if they're not real. And so fuck this guy. And so even when he tells uh, the soldiers all that cover story stuff, they're like, they look at him all weird. And he's like, I suppose you have a better idea. And so he goes to go outside. Just outside the door stood a tall, red-haired woman clad in armor and thick furs. Though he could see her dark eyes, the rest of her face seemed somehow out of focus to him. I have come to claim the shell, she declared in a voice like the whistle of the winter wind. Nice. Oddly enough, Clark did not even notice the wooden spear until its metal tip punched through his chest. Awesome. Damn. Yeah. I don't mind that she killed him, but did she have to kill him? Yeah. I was okay. shocked by this whole scene. I was <laughs> yeah. like, I was, I was listening to this and I was just like, holy shit, what just happened? Because it's just like that moment where he's like, oh, he thinks that we took the hammer that we're against him. Like, the whatever is coming from Asgard or whatever these, you know, Thor and Mist are, they think that these people are the enemy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, oh, right, and, and, right. and that's not entirely accurate. I don't know. It's also you know? not inaccurate because yeah. he's definitely their enemy. So it was kind of like, but, but, but it's just black and white to them. So they're like, oh, yeah, I'm totally going to punch my spear through this guy. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, also mm. they're from an existence that is a little bit more. I'll punch that spear through that guy. Kind well, of I want to say there's, a, yeah. I mean, these, you know, she, she's this is a this is a, this is a person who was raised to fight and, right. and do battle and go into battle. And the mindset is, if you battle valiantly until your death, you will uh, go to Valhalla, right. where you will party all night and then fight all day and then hang out together and party again. And it's going to be great. And so that's the that's the whole culture we're coming from here. Oh, yeah. And so that's kind of just kind of, again, like when you're talking about something being baked into a character like this, you know, that's baked in. Well, and we've talked about it so many times in these stories. No one thing is good or bad. Mm -mm. It's just kind of like it, it all depends on their point of view from where they're coming from. I feel like he's doing a really good job of showing us that with all of these characters. I feel like, you know, because Hellboy's got some questionable stuff going on. Pernilla and her dad is like there's a, that's a whole yeah. messy thing there, and I feel like you know we're not introduced to any characters being completely good or completely bad. It's very nuanced, and so 
Yeah. Yeah, uh, she spears him as soon as soon as she sees him. And to us that's like, oh, how how could you? But at the same time it's like, well, that's her fucking enemy. And she's been probably trained. We don't really know who she is yet in the story, but by all accounts, she seems like some sort of a Viking warrior type person. So Possibly it would about follow. Me. Yeah, it would follow that that would be her whole deal. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I was just thinking, like, how you described her as somebody who was raised in this whole Viking kind of sure. culture kind of thing. And my first thought was she ran up against somebody who was uh, a pencil pushing paper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that guy sucks. But, but not really, because Carl is hardly more the, uh, the, Cover up, kind of douchebag. Kind Absolutely, of guy. yeah. So you know, yeah. Did, that do okay. So here's the thing: is <laughs> do I care that she stabbed him? No. Did she need to stab him? Eh, probably not. But eh, I don't care. Yeah, so, yeah. To her, it's kind of all moot. Just, I think, probably. Yeah. just that whole part of the chapter was just bonkers to me. I was like, wow, this. Yeah, exactly. It makes yeah. you sit up straight, and you're like, wait a minute. For sure. Chapter eleven opens up at Edmund Eichmann's funeral. Hellboy and Abe wait in the limousine, and they describe the sky as a death shroud. Okay. They have two new operatives, Ogilvie from the American Embassy and Wilton, who worked for the Prime Minister of Sweden. And Wilton's on the phone with Manning back at the BPRD headquarters. And I love this because Hellboy's like fidgeting in the back seat, his tail <laughs> turned uncomfortably. But Abe is just looking at Pernilla, and it says he wanted to be with her. And here's where that part where you were talking about, yeah. Danielle, because Hellboy's like, I don't think it's romantic. They've just been through a lot together in a short period of time. Now she's burying her father, and she couldn't talk to the people around her that what happened. You know right. what I mean? Like, like She can't clearly say, yeah. like, oh, yeah, um, these weasels came out sure. and all this kind of stuff. Dwarves and uh, ice giants. It's here that he's thinking about how she's surrounded by a crowd of people who had known her most of her life, who most assuredly loved her deeply, but who could never understand what she was going through. Yeah. And so she's made a connection, whatever the nature of the connection is, she's made a connection with Abe. And, um, you know, and I, I can't help but feel like Hellboy naturally would make these types of connections too in other stories we've read, but he's so removed from that because he's he, all weird right he has now to yeah. be, i think right now he has to be removed because he's stressed out to the fucking max his the his right hand which already is stressful for him of like what does it mean is fused to mjolnir the fucking thor's hammer and his mind isn't all there he's thinks he's another person sometimes he is another person sometimes he speaks a language he doesn't understand but he does kind of understand it he's not in control and so, no, he's not going to be making any connections with anybody right now. He's not going to be making any emotional connections with anybody. He's too busy dealing just from moment to moment. And so I feel like it kind of makes sense that Abe would have formed this connection with her just, like he said, through the nature of what they're going through. But yeah. Well, th there is this one part where it says, Hellboy had never known his father, but Trevor Broom had been the man who adopted him, had raised him and taught him. When Trevor had died, part of Hellboy had been interred along with him, an innocence he would never be able to retrieve. It was ironic in a way that he should think so much now about his adoptive father, for it had been Trevor who had first given him an introduction to Eichmann. And the last time Hellboy had seen Pernilla's father before the past week, of course, had been at Broom's funeral. Yeah. Despite the greed and pettiness, Hellboy felt himself mourning Eichmann's death. Every time someone who had known Trevor Broom died, a little bit more of the man had erased from the world. 
Right. And so that, I mean, that makes sense. You yeah. Know, like, that's one less person you can talk to about your dad or about, you know, Trevor Brim. That's one less person you can be like, oh, and how, tell me about the, you know, your relationship. So it's, it's just one more piece of him is gone. And he does kind of feel, he's like, oh, that's selfish to think about, you know, my dad when she's right. like, just lost her father. But you both lost your dads. It's fine. You know, funerals are weird. It's cool. Um, also, one other little uh, detail that we kind of skipped over just to continue with the little thing about, um, uh, I, I just like this line because we already talked about, you know, the concept of this happening, but it's a good line. Ancient myths come to life. Ragnarok, hammer of the gods. How could she have a conversation with her great aunt or third cousin about the bones of giants? The answer was clearly she couldn't right <laughs> also also name of the movie inside the movie oh Bones right Giants. this is where they say the movie inside the movie fan. i love that i'm a big fan of that uh so i had to i had to mention that line the entire time this is going on wilton is on the phone with manning and so he closes the phone and he looks he's at got Hel- a flip phone he's yeah. got a clamshell phone this is 2000s right and uh he looks at hellboy and abe abe didn't seem to notice he was focused on pernilla but Hellboy wanted to know what Manning said. I do miss the flip. I miss the little flip. Dr. Manning had spoken to the Prime Minister directly, and the Prime Minister has heard from your Secretary of State as well as the representative from Great Britain, Wilton began, his mouth twisted up as though he had swallowed something distasteful to him. Apparently, in spite of how badly you've bungled the situation, Damn. in spite of the loss of the Skelevall remains and the murders of Frederick Clark and his team, not to mention the death of Professor Eichmann and Aronson, we are to continue to offer you whatever cooperation you require. Dang, and so Hellboy's like bungled. He's not having it. And so the lady from the that. embassy, she sits up and she's like, Hellboy, I'm sure Eric didn't mean. You've got a cadaver between 35 and 40 feet high wandering across your country right now, Mr. Wilton, Hellboy said. It's been three days since Thrym tore himself out of the ground and your people haven't been able to find a single trace of him beyond the city limits. After that first night when he left Stockholm, no one's seen a thing. Hellboy lifted Mjolnir slightly, only so that he could comfortably lean forward, but Wilton's eyes went wide and he flinched. Now Hellboy did smile, a hard look despite the humor in it. We've been waiting for Miss Eichmann to bury her father, Wilton. Now that that's done, they'll have a folklorist to help them, and they're going to head in the direction that Thrym went, and follow intuition. Abe says there's a village on the Ume River that has completely disappeared. There are just bones and ghosts there. Ogilvy thinks... He's being poetic, but Hellboy says there are ghosts there. They can try and go to talk to them, but most of them are insane. Wilton asks how they know all this. Did you bother to check what the BPRD stands for, Mr. Wilton? Hellboy asked. We're the Bureau for Paranormal Research and Defense. It's our job to know crap like that. Oh, man. And they mentioned the Ume River, and so that is one of the main rivers in northern Sweden, it is around 460 kilometers or 290 miles long, and it flows in a southeastern direction from its source. Nice. The whole fact that they had a funeral kind of throws me out of the story a little bit. A little Only bit. Because, uh, because, you know, it's three days later, Yeah. and I'm, I'm <laughs> sorry, but I'm, I, I, maybe this is just an American thing. No, I, I've yeah. I've never seen a funeral happen that fast. It's usually a week later, and... Well, in, in I mean, in, I, I like the scene, and it's it's like a nice scene and all that kind of stuff. But right. it's just like it feels weird. I thought you were going like, to say that that's that's too much time to be waiting around because I've I've seen oh well, obviously of course. In, that, also the yeah. whole time I'm thinking like this like slows the story you'll need to down. go do something yeah 
for me, I, mean, I agree. Fucking... But for me, like I've, I obviously the typical time period is like yeah, like a week. Well, at least where we live. But um, I, I have actually seen people throw it together uh, sooner in in like extreme circumstances. So a couple of days is not unusual for like if there's extenuating circumstances you really need it to happen it can be done it's not it's not like super normal but it can be done but like yeah, i get but... that she needs to go and her family needs to go and they need to attend to that and handle it and do something about it but like they're not working on this the whole time like abe and hellboy are not working on this like they're eating macadamia seems, nuts and watching yeah that does no, I mean... seem weird i agree that that does seem a little bit weird it, it, for sure it breaks it kind of breaks the flow of the story. It, a little because, bit, like, yeah. Like, I get, like, oh, the, now um, we're going to stop and have a funeral. Like, are, are hmm, you going to do yeah. that? Because it seems like you... I get, like, their family. Yeah, of course, I, go do that. But, like, I mean, I, come I on. Feel like the, I feel like the funeral should probably take place in the epilogue. I mean... Okay. Granted, there's granted there's information that we learn, and they can just shuffle that in somewhere else. Or because, I kind of, you but know. yeah, but you're right, but 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 you're right. There's just like Hellboy and Abe, yeah. you know. It was are, like they're chasing yeah. a giant, a bone, <laughs> sure, a bones of giant, yeah. if you will, and they're just gonna chill in a limousine while they're having a funeral. It does seem like you know, hey, they should yeah. mention while they're out walking around in a spooky forest to be like oh yeah and pernila went to her probably went to her father's funeral today i hope that she's okay right yeah i sure hope she's all right well, oh what was that was it a giant let's go investigate <laughs> like you would think that they would mention it like oh the the funeral was yesterday they have yet to get in touch with her meanwhile they're trying to track down all this fucked up shit right, happening right. so i don't know but well it I mean, happened i, I, I don't I know i can see them I can see them like setting like the scene like she's arranging the funeral arrangements and this is when these this guy is all like, Well, I see you bungled everything. Right, right. We didn't bungle shit. Uh, but um But but then again, who are we? We're not like book writers, so it's not like we're doing much better. Like obviously he's an amazing writer and we're just kinda nitpicking and the rest of it is amazing and incredible writing. So we're not trying to be like, ah, this sucks. So this has just been nitpick corner. Yeah. We're not for sure. The book is great. We love it. It's great. Yeah, but I, I do see your point, and like we haven't finished the end of this, and so again, I wonder if she plays a role, and they had to have her in there, absolutely. And so, and they couldn't oh, say, no. and and maybe they 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 didn't feel like they could go, oh well, she's just gonna go anyway sure. and not bury him, right? So it's kind of like I don't know. I mean, hopefully, or maybe they're being unsuccessful I, I, without her, and they go, hey, we really need to go back and get her. After she's done with this whole funeral business, because we're not right, getting anywhere right. with they need this. To fly, they needed a helicopter or her in or sure. something like that. I don't know. But no, so like I no, said, no, like, I mean, yeah, like me and Aubrey just finished saying, you guys, this Christopher Golden's an excellent writer. We've never written a fucking book. We probably couldn't do half as good a job. So this is nitpick corner. Please don't read too much into it. We love this. I, I it's mean, great. It's fine. I, I mean, I don't even like writing long texts. I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. But no, I mean, I just, I just kind of feel like, you know, yes, she is definitely going to be a major player in the thing. But I just feel like the funeral was a weird choice to put. What do yeah. we think? What do we, right what do we put in, what do we put in our money on? Is she a ghost or what is she? I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. Let, let's talk, let's come back to that. Okay. I'll talk about that after I finish the book. Okay. <laughs> we cut to Abe, Hellboy, and Pernilla in a helicopter. But Wilton, being a sneaky little twit, chartered a helicopter for them instead of getting a military personnel. All right. Asshole. Yeah. The pilot, Gustav, has been silent the entire trip. And every time he starts to slow down to one of the settlements along the way, Hellboy tells him, not here, not yet. Uh... 
as they go on, he starts complaining about running out of gas. Apparently, he could speak English after all. Right. He's been quiet the whole time. But Hellboy spots a place, and he says, though, have a look. As they descend, it looks like an earthquake has collapsed a building. They also find houses with walls caved in, cars torn open, boats shattered against the banks of the river. Gustav doesn't want to land, but Hellboy says as soon as they can land and get their gear, he can turn back. And I'm, so, But he says to set it down, and the pilot is like, no, you don't want to land here. Something terrible happened here. Can't you see all this? And so they're like, yeah, but that's why we came here. Please just land the fucking helicopter. Right. At one point, he says, I'm not supposed to know why you are here. They told me not to ask questions, so I will only wish you luck. We'll take it, Abe replied. Thanks. And he's so he's like, hey, so do you want me to come get you? And they're like, nah, that's cool. And he's like, okay, bye. <laughs> that's great. I don't want to come back anyway. Hellboy unloads the gear from the helicopter into a delivery truck that they find nearby. Abe and Pernilla said their goodbyes to Gustav who had turned out to be more reliable and more amiable than Hellboy had expected. When Hellboy shook his hand, using his own left as always, Gustav stared down at Mjolnir. That is impressive, the man said. Where did you get it? You're not supposed to ask questions, remember? Uh, Gustav smiled and nodded. Where did you get Thor's hammer from? Yeah. Then, as if remembering how unnerved he had been while in the air, he glanced around anxiously and back at the helicopter. Despite Hellboy's statements to Wilton, it had been the Nidavalim and not the BPRD who had located the place. Brock and Eitri had sent a messenger with word of it, and of the ghosts here. The village was haunted, and even though they could not see the spirits of the dead, Hellboy and his companions knew they were there. It made them feel like intruders at best, and thieves at worst. They were going to steal the truck after all, not to mention whatever food, clothing, and blankets they could add to their supplies... No one would know or care but the ghosts of the dead. Pernilla asks where the bones are. They haven't seen anything. And Abe is wondering where the dwarves are. They were supposed to meet them there. Hellboy says they'll go to the market, get something to eat, and if they haven't showed up yet, they'll go on without them. They stock up the truck with gear, supplies, beddings, and explosives. So there is a part where they mention that Hellboy's like carrying one crate really carefully because it's got like some sort of explosives in it. And then they have this moment where they talk about hotwiring a car. Yeah, they don't end up needing to actually hotwire the car. A la Terminator, the keys are just like in the fucking car. So. Yeah, but I thought the important part there was Liz taught Abe how to hotwire the car. I guess. They he, mentioned that little detail in there. He doesn't seem very confident that he'd be able to <laughs> He's do like, it. oh, I only did it once. No, but so like, you know, uh, the fact that the keys are still in the car is like, oh, I guess the driver of this car didn't expect to be away from the car for very long. Right. Ooh, spooky. Abe wonders which way to go. Mjolnir trembled in Hellboy's hand, and he pointed with the hammer. A little birdie told me to go that way, he says. They drive to the northern edge of the village and encounter the Nidavalim. The dwarves ask if Garm has attacked them. Who's Garm, Hellboy asks. I know who Garm is. <laughs> the Hound of Nipahalir. Say that five times fast, <laughs> Hellboy muttered. Hellboy asks again, who's Garm? Brock says that Garm gathered the corpses of the villagers in the hall at the center of the village after Thrym sucked the lives from them. Hellboy asks again, who's Garm? Right. <laughs> so uh, the the poetic Edda poem, Grimnismal, I'm not saying that right and I'm sorry, uh, mentions him, uh, says, the best of trees must Yggdrasil be, Skidbladnir, best of boats, I'm not saying that right, of all the gods, Odin is greatest, Slipnir, that's his horse, it's got six legs, best of steeds, Bifrost, best of bridges, 
uh, and it says Garm of Hounds. So Garm is supposed to be like a big shit dog. Okay. He's a dog, but he's like a fucking big deal. And a lot of people think of Fenrir, the wolf, as like, oh, that's an important wolf. Garm is like equally important as far as like story wise. So um, it says here, apparently Garm's howling heralds the coming of Ragnarok. And again, we think of Fenrir having a big part to play in Ragnarok, and that's true. Garm as well, apparently just not quite as famous over here in our neck of the woods. Garm howls, and people are like, oh shit, it's the fate of the gods going on. That's a rough translation. Okay. Uh, and so it has a lot to do with like um, hell. So hell being like a person, right, in the story, not necessarily mm-hmm. a place. But the gates of hell is in hell, like... The gates of hell's house, or some shit, like, okay. or, or like, or like place of residence, or whatever the fuck, is like similarly sort of almost like a guard, the way that we might think of Cerberus being this like a same kind of a deal. So it's kind of a similar sort of deal. a hellhound, basically. Right, right. And so in the prose edda book, uh, oh my god, Gilfagining, not saying that right. Uh, his role in Ragnarok is then shall the dog. Garm be loosed, which is bound before Nipal here. Nip, Nipahel yeah, here. That's what she, that's what he said. I'm Say that so five times sorry, fast. I know. <laughs> he shall do battle with Tyr, and each become the other's slayer. So that's yeah. important to our story, right? Right. So Tyr is important as well. He actually uh, had a few runabouts with Thor. They would run around together and get into mischief and get into some adventures together and stuff. And so Tyr, he sacrifice. He ends up sacrificing his arm to Fenrir, who bites off his limb while all the other gods are tying him up. So he's distracting Fenrir uh. while everyone else is tying him up and binding him. And so basically that's the sacrifice that he makes is that he loses his arm in order to perform this duty, this function. And so it's uh, he's consumed. He's It's foretold that he's consumed by similarly gigantic dog garm during the events of ragnarok so he's got a lot of run-ins with with big wolves and big dogs right uh this guy tier he's described as being the son of either himir or or odin depending on what you're referencing because there's two different texts that are referenced when you're trying to figure out where he's from but in any case um one memorable story in Locasina. I can't Locasen. I can't pronounce that. There's a big feast. Loki busts in and he starts up this bout of flighting. I don't know if you know what flighting is. It's basically, if you were to describe it in modern terms, it would be freestyling, like a freestyling rap battle. Okay. Basically, where a you, rap battle. you engage Norse rap battle. Yes, where you <laughs> they invented that shit. Where you engage in dissing the other guy in the most creative way possible so not only like okay so not everybody's good at battling right the fighters you know would go to valhalla but what if you're not really good at fighting what if you're good at a different kind of fighting what if you're good at just so basically anything you're good at your craft you can also get into valhalla by being the best by being very aggressively good at making armor or you know making uh carvings for the the temple or flighting so flighting was considered a huge skill you had to be super smart to do it and so uh tear was there and loki is, is insulting everybody so loki starts uh insulting uh Freyr, and tear comes up in uh Frey's defense and loki says ah you can't be the right hand of justice among the people the right hand of justice because his right hand was torn off by fenrir right tear says that although he doesn't have his hand loki misses fenrir he doesn't have fenrir because fenrir is tied up he's all bound and will remain so until ragnarok happens so he's like yeah i lost my arm 
but Fenrir's all tied up, so he fucking lost, so you lose, so fuck you. So it's kind of a neat exchange there. Anyway, that's just a little bit on Tyr. Okay. And okay. On, on, on Garm. That actually was very informative. Oh, but yeah. I didn't know about the whole, like, getting into Valhalla just meant being Yeah, not everybody's best, good at you know? chopping people's heads so off. Not the, everybody's the good at fighting. Yeah. gets into Valhalla because he's really good at making armor. Yeah, you, yeah. Or the cook because he's really good at making tiramisu. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so not, not just uh, fighting and stabbing is revered. You know, if you're super clever or smart at, like, tricking people into being their own demise, that's also very highly regarded. That can get you into Valhalla. So it's kind of like whatever, if you're making a huge effort at being good at some, if you're the best shipbuilder, you know, and so you are like a, a legendary, it's really more about like your fame, right? If you're so legendary across you're the, the land, sure. So it's like you're the best around. Yeah. No Nothing's going to ever keep you down. Keep you exactly. Down. Yeah. <laughs> what if, uh, what about podcasting? We're not, we're not going to make it to Ragnarok. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Well, and, uh, uh, we might make it mint here, Ragnar. We're, not, we're not going to Valhalla. So that answers Hellboy's question about who's Garm. Thank you for that, okay. Danielle. <laughs> okay. And he's like, but why is he here now? This isn't a coincidence. Thurm is resurrected, and Garm, who's also supposed to be dead, shows up. Who's next? JFK? Ah. John Fitzgerald Kennedy was the American politician. No, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. All right. All right. They made a movie about it starring Kevin Costner. You're so smug, but you know what? People want to know about Tyr. People want to know about Garm. All right? They want to know about flighting. And Brock says, Garm is not a husk as Thrym was. He must have survived between worlds or been trapped somehow here on this plane. It might have been nothing more than Thrym's passing by that roused him or drew him here. But it might have been the spell of the Svartovs. Ah. Magic that powerful always spreads. Nice. Wonderful, Hellboy muttered. Just what we needed. Thrym's the Pied Piper for lost monsters. Let's just catch him and put him back in the ground before more of these beasts start showing up. He glanced at the knit of a limb. You guys have any idea what other things might have survived Ragnarok? They shook their heads. Hellboy sighed. All right, get in the back. Abe, turn the truck around. We can't just leave this big mutt here to feast on whoever happens to wander into this place next. Side quest. I do like that the idea of, you know, something heavily magic-fied would have its own kind of gravity. Yeah. Like, if it would have its own, like, effect just, like, around it. Yeah, but I do like that idea that Thrym is kind of opening the gates or opening the time for all these things to kind of come back. Chapter 12 opens up with a funny image, which, uh, which is a testament to Golden's writing, because we can't actually see all the dwarves piling into the truck with Hellboy, Abe, and Pernilla. I just like the idea of that, right? Well, cool to get an illustration to go with it. But yeah. yeah I, <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Mignola drive, draw, a, draw a bunch of dwarves on the back of a truck. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I just think... Um, if I'm thinking about this like a movie or something, that would be like a humorous beat as they're all like getting in there and stuff like that. And I really like this detail about how Abe parks the van. So he parks it like turned around backwards so that way if they have to like drive out really quickly, they can just all jump in and get out. So I, I wonder if that's like part of his training, you know what I mean? Like when you get to a place where some shit's going to go down... Park so that way you can just pull out. I thought that was a little neat touch, you know, to talk yeah. about the way that A parked. Because, you know, you know, sometimes, like, you know, I'll, I'll just pull into that 
space in front of me so I don't have to back out. I can just drive. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, Abe's got a better reason, but what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> and I like this little detail, too, where, like, the dwarves can't figure out how to open the car door from the inside. That's another, like, funny little moment. Like, these... uh. You know, these anachronistic things like you got the dwarves and they don't know how to open a car door. Brock asks, what's your plan, Thunderbearer? It isn't brain surgery. Brock nodded with satisfaction. A direct assault worthy of Mjolnir. Hellboy asks some of the dwarves to watch over Pernilla, but she says she isn't staying behind. Hellboy tells her that she's not as durable as they are and she's not armed. She says, you have the hammer... I don't imagine you'll be using that cannon. And she points at his gun. And so Hellboy gives it to her. And she like starts sighting the barrel and all that kind of stuff. It kind of reminded me of that moment from Aliens where Hicks is like, do you even know how to work this thing? And then she like picks it up and she's like all working the gun, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Like She's all like... Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I did like that moment. Like kind of showing that Pernilla is skilled with a gun. You know what I mean? She knows what she's doing. That was a good scene. They find the building, and as they're walking up, Hellboy tells Eitri not to let anything happen to Pernilla. As they approach the hall, there's some talk about what the building was used for. I thought this was, this was kind of funny, too. They're like, oh, maybe it was a local flea market. It could have been religious. And Hellboy's like, what do you call those buildings people used to have where ranchers would bring their cattle and sell them? What what is what is he talking about? What? Like a stockade or something? Yes. <laughs> I just thought that was some okay. weird banter, you know, as they're walking up to like this tense scene, they're like having a conversation of what the building used yeah. to be used for. Anyway, as as people who live in Texas, we probably should know that answer, but I'd have no idea. We live in Houston. Oh, good point. We live it's, in it's real a world. city. Yeah. <laughs> they make a plan to go inside and Hellboy smash through the door. And inside, they see a mountain of dead corpses. Others were hussed like Eichmann, after Thrym sucked his life force from him. The enormous beast that lay atop the mountain of shattered bone and torn flesh was worse. Nice. Its fur was matted with blood, and when it shifted, the entire pile of human remains moved beneath it, with a skeletal clacking. Just, again, just that Jack Nicholson gif. Oh, yeah. Of just him, just like, <laughs> yes. Okay, so when I was listening to the story, then the image that pops in my mind was similar to Smog sitting on the uh, pile of gold. Yeah. Go into the um, Hobbit. Though their entrance had certainly been noisy enough to give them away, Garm seemed oblivious at first. The great wolfhound held a dead thing between its paws, a human corpse whose lower torso and legs were still intact, but whose upper body seemed to have been stripped of flesh, bones scarred by the monster's teeth. Nice. And we get a great illustration there. Christopher Golden really captures, like, just, like, dog behavior. Yeah. Like, it's almost like a dog just gnawing, like, on a rawhide yeah. thing or something, but except this is a giant wolfhound gnawing on someone's skull. Absolutely. <laughs> Are you talking about uh, Mignola, like the art? Or are you talking about the writing? Well, I'm talking about both, I guess. Sure, yeah, sure, yeah. okay. No, but we do get a great image, yeah. Yeah. The, so the right, he does capture, he does ta- capture canine behavior very well. But then also, I thought for a second that you were also talking about like the illustration, like that's they go together really very, well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very good uh, illustration there as well. Hellboy felt the serpentine pendant grow cold against his chest, and Mjolnir seemed lighter than ever, as if rather than burdening him, it were pulling him on. 
as if only aware of their presence, Garm dropped its massive snout over the corpse in its clutches and glared at Hellboy out of the corner of its eye, as though he might want to steal its dinner. Then the massive beast took one of the dead man's arms in its mouth and began to chew, not ripping it off, but gnawing on it with a pop and crunch of bone and tearing ligaments. I like how the reaction to this is just gross. Yeah. <laughs> gross. That's gross, man. man. He's a wolf. The, He's a wolf. That really is like dog-like behavior. Because yeah. like I've seen I've seen my dogs do that side-eye glance. You know, like, sure. trying to take my food. Yeah. <laughs> I am, Jake. And uh, we get another good Hellboy quip where he's like, someone needs a milk bone. All right. <laughs> I, I love the description of the hackles going up because that's a bad sign. You don't want that to happen. Right. And that's scary, especially when it's a gigantic wolf. <laughs> yeah. Well, they describe it the size of an elephant. So I like that yeah, that's kind of that imagery. Scary. Yeah. So uh, Brock is like, ah, and Hellboy's like, ah, it must be some sort of ancient challenge. He's like, no, he's just yelling. Yeah. Because he's about to go into a fight with a monster that's super scary. I mean. So like when Hellboy says somebody needs a milk bone, it makes me think, did he used to give Mac milk bones? Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, And I do like this part where he tells Abe to shoot at it. There's one little line where it says, Abe was a good shot. Hellboy had always envied him that. Ah, he's bad at he's bad at shooting yeah, guns. He's yeah. bad at it. <laughs> but the creature barely flinched with each bullet, eyes never moving from Hellboy. Yeah, because he's a magic, gigantic wolf monster. And Hellboy's like, play dead. Uh, okay, All right. that's <laughs> for for me. None of that lands. Uh, I get it. It's cute, but like none of that lands. Hellboy's got to have his quips. In I there. know. I get it. It landed for me because I listened to the audiobook and the. Um, Sure, sure. Did it pretty well. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, as they're attacking it, the monster starts lunging for Hellboy, so it's going specifically after him. Right. Which I thought was interesting. And Brock is still like, yeah. But I also like how, like, when the you know Hellboy talks about how like the gunshots didn't have any effect, and he he turns to Pernilla and says, "Leave," and he tells Abe to leave too, and you know because their their weapons have no effect, right? He doesn't want them to be in harm. Well, and and neither of them have a magical mystical uh, weapon of the gods. Right. So he's like, just get the fuck out of here. This is not going to go well. So there's yeah. this there's this moment where Garm is lunging at Hellboy and then Brock leaps into Garm's path. Brock swung his hammer at Garm's chest, almost beneath him now. Garm dipped his snout down and bit Brock in two, Jeez. threw back his head and gulped down the top of the dwarf's body. Eitri saw this and shrieked in fury. Sorry, sorry. He gulped down the top half of the dwarf's body, hammer and all, while the bottom half struck the ground, pumping blood onto the floor. Gross. Yeah. That's a little graphic. And so that was another yeah. part where, as I was listening to the audiobook, I was like, oh, Jeez. shit. You like, know what I mean? I was like, God up. damn it. And so the next line is Eitri is, yeah. He saw this and shrieked in out. fury. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, we know in the Norse mythology, they're brothers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. that's fucked up. So he's like, he's flipped out and he's stabbing this wolf as many times as he can. And that doesn't seem like it's doing a lot of damage, though. So they're in a bad place right now. Hellboy's huge right fist could not be burned still. The hammer seared his palm and fingers. And he held it even tighter as he let loose a bellow of rage that echoed the war cry of the knit of a limb. So he, is he getting upset or is or is Mjolnir right. getting upset? It seems like Mjolnir is getting upset. He barely understood the words, but in his heart and in his gut, he knew the meaning of it to the death. Ah, 
So Garm had killed Tyr, whoever Tyr was, and the and the then also uh, killed Brock just now, and so he's he's freaking out. Right. And now they're fighting. Jolnir cut through the air only inches from its snout. Then Garm was on top of Hellboy. Its drool slipped out and soaked his long jacket where it touched his skin. It burned. Son of a bitch. Yeah, I thought that was interesting too. So like the yeah, saliva is burning him and stuff. And then he's talking. Yeah. And he's going he says, The hammer, it isn't yours. You can talk, Hellboy said, surprised. Where did you get that? That makes it worse. <laughs> makes it much worse. It's bad. Super smart and super dangerous. You're in for a bad time. But in this moment, Hellboy is able to swing the hammer and smash the side of Garm's head. The wolfhound manages to close its jaws around the right hand of Doom, and Hellboy says you want something to chew on? And he yanks the hand back, smashing the wolfhound's teeth from the inside. Jeez. That's really cool. Hellboy ran at it, and he brings the hammer down on its back, shattering its spine. Jeez. The thing was still alive, though barely. Hellboy felt satisfaction at the echo in his mind of the hammer striking the monster's back and shattering its teeth. That's very graphic. That reaction depressed and disgusted him, and he turned and began to walk from the building, leaving the knit of a limb to finish Garm to have their revenge for the death of Brock. This this gets really messy really quick. Like, that is some fucked up shit. Yeah, it says um, he was doing his best to push the urges away, but he felt angry almost all the time now, enraged at nothing but the world around him and wanting to lash out with Mjolnir, to have something more to fight, to destroy... Monsters whose bones would shatter. Jeez. Yeah, so he's like just becoming like just he just wants to fight everything. You know, the sure. that the hammer is kind of possessing him. Right. He's talking to himself, the sooner this is over the better, but in the back of his mind he wondered how long it would be before the presence within him, the essence of the hammer's previous owner, influenced him so much he decided he did not want it to be over. The more dead things that rose oh, from the earth, yeah. the more ancient monsters somehow recalled to this world, the happier he'd be. That is what scared him. Yeah, so like yeah. It, he could just not be Hellboy anymore. Yeah. He could be totally possessed by this yeah. thing. He could be like, yeah, this is great. Just fight uh, weird dead guys. Right. That's cool. And that's it kinda, scared of him, yeah. It kind of puts a, uh, a little twist on the whole Marvel thing. Whoever holds his hammer will possess the power of Thor. Right. Whereas whoever shall hold his hammer will be possessed is Thor. The power of Thor. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it also gives a whole spin on that Hellboy's Fury thing because we have seen that he goes apeshit sometimes. Remember, yeah. he killed all those giants mm-hmm. and stuff like that, and then he didn't remember it. He cut Satan's throat, and then he didn't remember it. So it's like, and then it, you know, he grew into a, a giant mountain guy, and he was fighting <laughs> these giant, you know, yeah. and destroyed hell. <laughs> so that's a thing that happens. Yeah. Back with Abe and Pernilla, they wait outside, and Abe thinks about all the dead people who were killed by Thrym and Garm. So they try and, like, I, I like that they try and put an emphasis on that. Like, these aren't just dead bodies for whatever they reason. People, like, yeah. these were people, and they kind of make a point of having Abe think about that. Pernilla wants to go back in, but Abe says if their guns didn't work, they're just going to be in the way. Abe's like, there was this thing with a djinn. And a bull one time in Calcutta when his words trailed off and he glanced back up at her. Let's just say I learned the hard way that sometimes the only backup I can give is to get out and be there to pick up the pieces if things go wrong. Right. 
And so I do have to mention this, right? Jinn are supernatural creatures in early pre-Islamic Arabian and later Islamic mythology and theology. In the Islamic context, the term jinn is used for both a collective designation for any supernatural creature and also refer to a specific type of supernatural creature. Therefore, jinn are often mentioned together with devils or demons. In folklore, both devils and jinns are held responsible for misfortune, possession, and diseases. However, the jinn are sometimes supportive and benevolent. They are innately neither good or evil. So sometimes they're cool and sometimes they're not cool. Yeah, so whenever I see them mention any kind of like uh, mythological creature, I have to go research that. There you go. What I can't understand is why we're still at this fucking... I, I don't know how we're still here. Pernilla is like, oh, uh, uh, this is an Garm is a myth. So is Thrym. Like, are you still there? Because we're past that. We're actually fighting monsters and have been for quite a long time. Your dad was fucking killed by one. How are you still there? So that was kind of annoying. I, was, okay. I, didn't, I don't still want to be dealing with this shit at this stage in the story. I don't want to still be like, okay, all right, yeah. I don't want to be skimming past paragraphs where the character's like, whoa. Like, get get on our level. Let's let's go. Let's move past this. You just had a funeral for your dad right. where he was killed by a weird monster. How are you still there? Well, Abe says that some are and some aren't. Even the myths that are true aren't completely true, but none of them are completely made up either. I've had an inkling about that for a long time, but this solidifies it. Every myth started somewhere, he says. And then there's a loud thump. They look around. They see Hellboy and the dwarves coming across the street to the truck. The expression on Hellboy's face was grave. And the Nidavalim were even more grim. They were dirty and disheveled, their clothes and hair stained with blood. But there were only four of them. Abe scanned the faces and realized who was missing. Brock, he asked as Hellboy passed him, headed for their vehicle. Hellboy paused and glanced at him, eyes unreadable. He's dead. Drive the truck. So going to chapter 13, here we open up at the BPRD headquarters in Fairfield, Connecticut. Hey, it's the BPRD headquarters. So I had, this is where I had a little bit of an issue because Golden calls it an unremarkable building. Yeah, what the fuck? But it's quite unique. We've talked about this before. It's based on the Frank Lloyd Wright Falling Water Building. Um, but Golden also notes that the BPRD headquarters is influenced by Asian architectural styles. From Wikipedia, Frank Lloyd Wright's passion for Japanese architecture was strongly reflected in the design of falling water, particularly in the importance of interpenetrating exterior and interior spaces and the strong emphasis placed on harmony between man and nature. Contemporary Japanese architect Ando had said of the house, I think Wright learned the most important aspect of ar architecture, the treatment of space, from Japanese architecture. When I visited Falling Water in Pennsylvania, I found the same sensibility of space, but there was the additional sounds of nature that appealed to me. Beautiful. But yeah, uh, unremarkable. I wonder if Christopher Golden can't be describing this building as unremarkable to the reader. It cannot be that he is trying to get us to think of this building as unremarkable. It has to be. So I can't help but think like, is Tom Manning just supposed to be, is he supposed to come off as such a putz? Okay. That I don't know. Like, so I don't really know what that is for, but yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright's 
falling water building as unremarkable as it's either a laugh or it's like supposed to be that Tom Manning is an uncultured okay. piece of shit. I don't know. Okay, so I actually kind of took it as that Tom, uh, to Christopher Golden was just kind of making kind of a joke. Sure. It unremarkable <laughs> because it's well known that that building's based on uh, the Falling Waters building. And so I just think he was just kind of making like a like a slide. Is it a sarcastic tongue in cheek? Because like, Maybe, why yeah. would that be in there? But like, that's not I, his I, job I, 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 as an author. Like, he's supposed I mean, to be describing this building in a way that is helpful for the reader or in a way that illuminates a character either one right oh uh, see so yeah, i took it completely different i just took it like he's like we all know what this building looks like he was describing it as unremarkable that's not what authors just, do that's not their job so it has to be something well, cannot I mean, be, be that but but he that's what he did though i know but like i don't know why he did that so anyway that's just like because i just thought it was an end joke it's <laughs> yeah but why anyway it's stuck because, out. it's stuck out but, for sure because honestly most people aren't going to be reading this book who don't know the comic i want to think about like what is in his it says not a single restaurant that doesn't require a car to get to but that's a decent trade-off for the view from the top floors he has no priorities except for how far it is to the nearest restaurant or what okay. floor his office is on and it sounds like manning is having a great morning he got up early for his jog he drove to work with the windows down blasting his music he's got some beers ready for when he gets home some coronas oh no don't drink those oh man he plans to open the windows in his office when he gets there, and he gets there early so that way he can get shit done before everything hits the fan. It also specifically says that he had his music on loud, but then when he hit a red light, he turned it down yeah. again because he didn't want <laughs> he got people self-conscious. to like, he got self-conscious about it. Yeah, That happened in the movie Office Space, which came out like, like a year or two. Oh, before. okay. Yeah, okay. that's kind of funny. When Manning goes into his office... He doesn't see his secretary, and so he leaves the door open so she'll know he has arrived. It clicks shut behind him when he gets in. With a frown, Dr. Manning turned to find Kate Corrigan standing just inside the door. Her short blonde hair looked unkempt, as if she had just woken up, and she held a mug of coffee in one hand. Tom glanced around the office and saw paperwork spread out at the small coffee table in the far corner. Kate had been waiting for him. From the expression on her face... Dr. Manning knew the weather was about to change. Good morning, Tom. Kate, what are you doing here this early? I come in at this time and have Penelope come in at this time so I can get work done before the shit hits the fan. Not getting here. Never left. I, I laughed at that line. Yeah. Like, I actually laughed out loud at that. Yeah. <laughs> Not getting it's good here. shit. Never left. That is a great Kate line. Oh, that was so She's good. Just rubbing her eyes, <laughs> sipping her coffee, sighing, slumping in chairs. Kate is just the backbone of this entire fucking operation. Kate mentions that she was up all night working on the Crosley thing with the Draco Volans. I'm not sure what Crosley refers to, but Draco Volans are a Southeast Asian flying dragons. Jeez. They grow up to 22 centimeters or eight and a half inches. But um, this is the BPRD, so, so I'm thinking that the, yeah, <laughs> I'm thinking uh, these are dragon people or yeah. something. And so she says, "Ah, oh, yeah, I was all set to go home around 4 a.m. when I got this phone call. She is just burning the candle at every possible yeah. angle a candle has. She is running on fumes here." And she mentions that she got a call from Barry. He's in Sweden. Oh, right, Manning replied, a sinking feeling in his stomach. It seems the Swedes haven't been completely forthcoming with us, she says. Elaborate. Kate nodded. 
Word is, and this is only whispers, mind you, that in addition to Carl Aronson's murder and the murders of the operatives that the Prime Minister had tasked us with keeping an eye on the remains, the remains themselves are missing. Stolen, apparently. Hellboy didn't mention that in his report. In Abe's he, report. Because you know Abe wrote his yeah. report for him. So he's just thinking about I do like that line, paperwork. though. I yeah. do like that line that he's like, well, you know that Abe wrote Hellboy's report. Right. And so he's he's over here. He'll, he's still just thinking about like all the fucking paperwork. And Manny's like, oh, I wanted to look at those remains. I wanted to check those out. So he's kind of bummed about that. God. And they don't know who took them, but the prime minister is unhappy. And they can expect a call from him soon. Oh, or, to tell me that someone stole the corpse of a god? She says, they'll probably stonewall and say it wasn't a genuine article anyway. And Kate has further details. She's like, you'll love this. <laughs> They've been spying on Hellboy and Abe, but they lost track of them up north and found some strange things. Barry said something about a giant dog. Uh. The Prime Minister is getting paranoid, and he thinks Hellboy might be trying to steal the remains and smuggle the hammer out of the country. It's a national treasure, according to the Prime Minister. Uh, how can they say it's a national treasure if they insist that it isn't what we think it is? Ugh, which one is it? He's so fucking mad. He's and, so frustrated right Well, she's now. like, that's what I said. Yeah. And how can Hellboy have smuggled something out of the country when he's still there? Again, that's what I said. I love that. So yeah. it's like... Kate's on. She, She's you on can, top of it. You can yeah. see why she becomes the director. Absolutely. Why he hands it off to her because she already has the know-how, and she's even like. I suggest trying to convince the Prime Minister that they're right, that none of this is what we both know it is, that it's all a hoax, and that Hellboy's report to you indicates as much. Manning's like, how do you expect them to buy that? There was a giant walking through the place and yeah. all these people saw it, and she's like, I don't know, mass hysteria? Ugh. They're going to need something to cover their ass, and so maybe they'll realize that and play along. So she already knows the political strategy she, yeah. with dealing with these big she wigs and everything. So I just love all those details. They're really great. As Kate is, like, leaving, she's going to go home and go to bed. The phone rings, and when the secretary picks it up, her eyes go wide. The Prime Minister of Sweden, Kate asks, How do you do that? The secretary, <laughs> Penelope, responds. Uh, Have fun, Kate says, walking great. out. That's great. Yeah, and so Manning has to take those calls. He had known it was going to be one of those days, but this wasn't the kind of thing he had in mind. Great. That was a great scene. Yeah. I loved that little scene with Manning and Kate. It was really good. I just thought uh, I just thought it was funny. I actually laughed out loud a couple times when I was listening to that. I love it. Yeah, it was great. Over with Hellboy Abe, Pernilla, and the Knit of a Limb, they've been driving for two days. Hellboy's sleeping outside at night while the rest sleep in the van. On the way, they encounter some of the Sami people. The Sami people are an indigenous people inhabiting Sápmi, which today encompasses large northern parts of Norway, Sweden, Finland, and the Kola Peninsula within Russia. The Sami have historically been known in English as Laps or Laplanders, but that term is regarded as offensive by some of the Sami people. Uh. Traditionally, the Sami have pursued a variety of livelihoods, including coastal fishing, fur trapping, and sheep herding. Mm -hmm. Their best known means of livelihood is semi-nomadic reindeer herding. For traditional environmental, cultural, and political reasons, reindeer herding is legally reserved for only Sami people. Right on. Nice. So I thought that was interesting. Oral tradition amongst these peoples often include talk of myths of gods and of monsters. That's interesting how I guess it says in here that they included a little bit about like they were 
staring at Hellboy and Abe with fascination, but without horror. So they were right. like, hmm, this is interesting. Instead of just like, Ugh. Right. Well, it, uh, going along with that quote that you were saying, it says, now this will add to the old myth. Sure. About a fish man and a huge demonic beast with thundering hooves and a hammer worthy of the gods. So right. now they're just going to like. Maybe not even demonic, though. As they're saying, they was just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. As opposed to earlier when we saw uh, the cop who was just like. Ugh. Right. You know. Oh, yeah, that's right. So it's kind he of. pissed a, his pants. Yeah, he sure did. <laughs> it's kind of a stark, you know, uh, comparison there. That's I like that they I like yeah, that they mentioned I like nice that they mentioned those peoples and all of that. Thank you for that. That's cool. Good rundown. And if anyone listening has any uh, additional information, because you're a little bit closer to that than we are, you know a little bit more about it. Feel free to you know we love we love to learn about that. Yeah. And so they're driving in this van for a while. As they're driving, Pernilla nods off. It talks about how she didn't even have time to put her father's affairs in order. They keep going further, and at one point, Hellboy says they can't go much further. They're getting closer to the ocean. Abe also notes that they haven't seen anything else like Garm or Thrym. He doesn't get it. How did they all get here? The corpse with the hammer and Thrym's body, the Svardovs, and the Nidavalim and Garm? If Ragnarok happened, it didn't happen on this plane of existence. I'm sure the Bureau would have a dozen theories, but one thing seems pretty clear. There's no record of the kind of devastation Ragnarok would have caused. No record of these creatures showing up before, or their bodies being discovered. Nothing except myths, and those are really ancient. This is, I like how it slowly starts to come together and coalesce. Like, I like how earlier Clar, he was talking about, ah, oh, but if it's, a, it's only like a hundred years old, how can it be Thor? I don't understand. But here we're talking about planes of existence. Right. What did I, how, what have I been saying this whole fucking time? It's starting to come together, right? In your mind, you're like, oh shit, existences are smashing together. And right. even if this only happened, whatever, however much time, time isn't a thing when you're dealing with this sort of thing where realities are shifting and phasing in and out of one another. And so if this reality crashed into this other reality, then time wouldn't even be a thing. You can't reliably, you know, be using scientific methods for dating because that's not really going to show up. Right. The kind of results that are like, you know, it's not going to tell you, oh, but by the way, this is from a different fucking reality, so time doesn't matter. You know what I mean? It's not going to show up in a carbon dating test or anything. Right. So this is starting to take shape, and it, I like the little levels and layers that he very slowly kind of drapes across this book. Like, he very slowly, like, come, my child, here's the little breadcrumbs. Sure. You know? Hellboy says, the nine worlds collapsed. The land of the gods and the realm of the giants, even the netherworld. They caved in like a house of cards. That's how devastating the final battle was. Midgard, our world, was affected the least, but it depends how you look at it. Whatever was left of those other worlds, the fallout, I guess, is still here. Some of it merged with our world. Other pieces are still outside this reality. As he spoke, Hellboy's voice kept changing, growing even deeper, and then returning to normal. Abe glanced at him several times, but his friend did not look at him again. A chill went through Abe, and he shivered. You know a lot more about this stuff than you did a couple days ago, Abe said slowly. The longer I hold the hammer and the further north we go, the clearer it all becomes in my head. Sometimes you don't even sound like yourself anymore, and I'm not just talking about your temper. Sometimes I don't feel like myself either. Any more hallucinations, Abe asked? They're not hallucinations, Hellboy replied calmly. <laughs> Yeah, so that's a good scene yeah, right it's there. Good yeah, good shit. Good way to like 
it's hard to put this stuff into an exposition conceptualization type of thing, but I like Golden the way they does it. I like the way they handled it. Golden it was great. Does yeah. It. yeah, it does a good job. And then we've got uh, Hunin and Moonin. Yeah, Hellboy keeps seeing the ravens, and in the woods he sees faces from the trees, and so he asks them to stop the truck. He gets out and he looks around, and then he has this moment where like he hits himself in the head several times, and he's okay. like, "Get out of my head." I would be so concerned. I'd be like, dude, you, you, you need what to. What is going this on? Is not acceptable. What behavior. did you say in the? What did you say on the last episode? Uh, you are seriously freaking me out. You're now. seriously freaking me out right now, man. You need to chill. Abe decides they should go on on foot. They have less than half a tank of gas left, and Hellboy points with the hammer and he says they'll be going up. And he points to these snow-covered peaks. They offer Pernilla to take the truck back to the last town. But she says she'll manage. Abe asks what Hellboy saw in the trees. Was it Svartalves? But he he's not sure how to explain to them that the faces and silhouettes he'd seen in the woods belonged to Mist and her sisters, the Valkyrie, and that they had come to claim his soul. I'm into wow, it. I'm yeah. into it. This is great. This is good shit. And now they're running across uh, corpses, and that's not fun. But so they're like, hey... Uh, we're getting closer to right. what's going on, right? So they're hiking. It says 18 hours later. Yikes. So they've already been driving for two days. Now they've been hiking for over a day. They find a corpse, and it sounds pretty grueling. No they have to thanks. S- All of this is no thanks. They have to stop every few hours to eat. Hellboy uses his body to block the rest of the team from the winds at certain points. Jeez. But none of them complain. They can tell that Pernilla is uncomfortable, but she presses on with her determination to see Thrym destroyed. They find another corpse of a Sami man, and as they go on, it's getting darker, even though it's not night yet. They find two more corpses. Hellboy says Thrym likely got these people from a nearby village, and Pernilla notices that the corpses have been drained. Thrym is sucking the life out of them, just like he did with her father. Yikes. Something tells me we're going to find more, Hellboy says. As night starts to come around, Hellboy starts to get uncomfortable and cold. Ice starts forming on his horn stumps. I like that little detail yeah. there, right? And he has no idea how Abe and Pernilla are still going. They find a dozen more bodies. Hellboy thought of Hansel and Gretel's trail of breadcrumbs, and the macabre twists that put on the presence of the corpses in his mind gave him a chill that had nothing to do with the snowstorm. And I like these kind of mood panels of Mignola just drawing, like, the mountains and stuff yeah, like that, you know? It really, like, it makes me think of, like, Lord of the Rings or something where okay. they're just, like, hiking sure, forever and sure. they have this, like, long epic just, like, we must go through the mines right, or whatever, right. you know what I mean? Where they're all, like, the snow is overtaking them and everything. Man, that Lord of the Rings scene is so good. I know, it's good. But I've been, like, I've been I... thinking about um our tutorial, our pronunciation tutorial, and I... I it's interesting, like what syllables we emphasize and what syllables are emphasized in the original, like like language that okay. these words are from. Like, um, like we say Midgard, and we have very soft D's. But William Tunholm was saying um, Midgard. Oh, that's right. Midgard. It's yeah. very like very pronounced. Do you know what I mean? And so like, that's cool as hell. But like, I guess it's. I don't know what it is about the way that we we, we pronounce like uh, Utgard and, right. and, and as opposed to Utgard. Like it's very 
very super rich and like you know you really take your time to pronounce all of these syllables here right. i don't know it's just something that struck me as we're reading this right. of like it's almost like when you think about the way that things look too like the visual aesthetic almost kind of matches the the sound of these words oh, like okay. it's very yeah. like you know what i mean like the um i don't know what i'm trying to say but like the shapes and the architecture and the way that um thing you know i don't know the art and everything it kind of like you get that sense that everything is very big and fleshed out yeah. and bold like the way that these words are pronounced as they crest a rise they see a village the dead have come from this village trying to get over the mountains to safety so that was like oh man all these corpses they were like trying to get away from whatever Yikes. and then they were just killed along the way that's really fucked up hellboy says it was a village but then he tells them to look again <laughs> what is that abe asked it took pranilla another moment how how did i not see that first it is as though there's a whole city there but how can i still see the village too it's as if this place has been swallowed by the other it's an optical illusion. So I love that description that yeah. like they're seeing the city, but they're also seeing the village at the same time. Yeah. And it's like messing with their eyes. You know what I mean? Like look again. Right. And then when you look again, you're like, oh, now I'm seeing something totally different. And Abe is like, what's going on? And the Nid of Willem are, are like, uh, well, it's it's Uthgard. And Hellboy says, I know. Yeah. Pernilla interrupted. You can't possibly mean that this is the Utgard, the Citadel of the Giants. Again, Pernilla, the like super late exposition lady. Like, yeah, we get it. It's the Realm of the Giants. Okay, moving on. Hellboy only looked at her, then slowly turned to regard Abe, whose moist dark skin was flecked with snowflakes that melted almost as soon as they touched him. This, this right here, Abe asked and edged to his voice. How can the City of the Giants be here? Just plop right down on some village... That was here already? Never mind that. Wasn't it destroyed during Ragnarok along with everything else? Once more, Hellboy turned to gaze out at the sprawling silhouette, the image of Utgard that wavered in and out of reality with each rush of wind, each blast of driven snow. It isn't Utgard, Hellboy said, his deep voice carrying along the mountain ridge. It's the ghost of Utgard. Yeah. Yeah, so that was so weird. So it's like... I, I like this idea that as the wind is, bl is blowing, the the sight of it is kind of coming in and out. Yeah. And it's kind of like this kind of spectral remains of it or whatever. So this is obviously where they're, where they're going to have the final showdown, oh, yeah. right? Or something like sure. that. Yeah. yeah. In Norse mythology, Utgard surrounded a stronghold of the Frost Giants. Utgard is thought to be the final of the three worlds connected to Yggdrasil, being the home of the external cosmic forces. Utgard needs to be compared with the Midgard, the world of human affairs, and Asgard, variously attested at the crux of the matter, the center of the world. I like learning about all this North mythology stuff, and yeah, I'm excited to see how this plays out. Again, like, I'm waiting for Pernilla to have some ghost powers or something, but I'm starting to think maybe that's not going to happen. I don't know. She you know what I mean? She's being a stupid dummy, but what if it's like... What if it's an act? What if it's I keep I'm so hopeful and like a hopeful little child. Like, oh, but what if this what if she's like, oh no, I can't believe this is happening. And then later she's like, ha ha ha, I tricked you. I know all of this and I'm super powerful and scary. I don't know. Or what if like she becomes imbued with something sure. while she's there? Yeah. Like I'm really in this reality, I'm somebody else and yeah. I'm gonna do something. Because or... we've gotten the the idea that she's super ethereal from all this other shit 
like when we first met her, we were supposed to believe that she's this otherworldly, ethereal, they, very they, striking. They portray Something her as about like a her specter, is supposed yeah. to be striking, right? And so I don't know, like, is she a ghost lady or is she just dumb? Like, who knows? <laughs> but but I, I wanted to come back to when you and Aubrey were talking about the funeral because it's like they had to have her come along. Yeah. She's going to – I don't think that Christopher Golden is going to have her tag along just to be like, whoa, whoa, what? Like, she – She's got to – there's got to be a she, reason. She's yeah. she's going to play a part in the end game of yes, this story. Yes, for sure. And so I'm ex- – so I think that that's why they had to do the whole – funeral thing because no yeah obviously you know what i mean so i'm I'm excited to see what that's going to be again i'm intrigued by this character i like her yeah yeah yeah, yeah. you know i like getting a picture of her in these (laughs) chapters to see what she actually looks like i wish she was given more to do except be very confused and literally never be able to catch up with whatever's fucking going on sure it makes no sense okay that part doesn't make sense to me. I wish that she was given something to do or say except be very late exposition lady. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> a little too late exposition lady. A little too lady. late exposition lady. Like, get, I'm, I'm, I can't with that. I didn't have the same reaction to the her character as you did. Uh, but That's why it's a book club, sure. thought of these specific chapters we read, it felt like, Okay, so the first at first it starts off with Aikman dying, and that's a good conclusion to where we were last week. But then we go off on the funeral, and then the wool, uh, garm, and this and that and whatever, and it's just like there's a fucking giant fucking skeleton. I mean, <laughs> granted, we gotta we, we gotta we gotta take care of the wolf. It's ramping I understand up, yeah. that. But I'm just saying, it's just like this all felt like. If it were a TV series, this would have been filler episode. It's very side questy, yeah. Yeah, and so it's just like, I, and I'm not saying I didn't like it because no, sure. I very much enjoyed it. But on the whole, there is a fucking giant frost, right. giant skeleton. <laughs> That's priority one. You gotta, you gotta make priorities. That's priority one. Yeah. Funeral is down. It, it did seem ten odd. or something. Sure, it you did know. seem strange. Uh, Garm is probably about a three. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. It did seem a little bit odd that they would be like, mm, "We can wait on that. We'll right. just do other stuff but, but of course, for a while." But, but, of course, like... but this isn't a movie, and it's not a TV series or anything. It is a book, and books are more episodic a lot of times. You know, because but you, like, you have uh, a good point. I mean, that's yeah. But I mean, it's just like, and 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 I'm not trying to say I, this is this is nitpick corner again. Right. Sure. Um. Again, more well written than anything any of us could do. So, yeah. Exactly. But, I mean, I I very much enjoyed it, but it also was all like, huh, this felt like a a side, like you said, side quest. Sure. In the middle of the fucking giant cross demon thing, whatever. I'll kind of agree with some of that, but... I really enjoyed that messed up scene at the hospital with Clark. Oh, yeah. I thought good. that that was oh, just good. bonkers. And then okay. I really liked that scene with Kate and Manny. And I just great. loved having that little bit of slice of that bureaucratic life. You know what I mean? And uh, so that, that, that was all, that, that was the, all good the shit The bureaucratic for me. side of having to deal with uh, interdimensional realities crashing into each other. That's got to be a lot of paperwork. Yeah. And I really felt... Uh, okay, so, Kate's sleepless nights on that one. 
those are actually my two favorite scenes in this whole thing. Yeah. The, yeah. The, what happened to Carr and the Kate and Manning thing. Everything else, I would just throw it in a montage. What, yeah. But whenever super mundane stuff collides with super outrageous mythical level shit, that's just the sweet spot. That is chef's kiss. Well, I, I did like the the Garm battle, you know, the mini boss. You know what I mean? Okay, and okay. One yeah, of the no, dwarves no, got right. killed, and then it's like, oh, no. And it's like, it's, oh, the gunshots I mean, don't kill sure. it. And, and, yeah, I want to see a giant wolfhound fight Hellboy, okay, for okay. sure. So, yeah, that's, yeah, fine. I mean, that's fine. Okay, so yeah, that, that, was, that was great. I mean, so yeah, I will concede that. It's a chance to have a giant wolf battle, which is pretty metal point taken it, it really yeah. is I granted mean. yeah absolutely i want to see those mignola in sure. illustrations of a giant wolf okay <laughs> fair yeah. play fair play to you all right yeah so that that was a great discussion i i really uh am enjoying this uh actual book club and i'm excited to hear <laughs> yeah and i'm excited to hear everybody's thoughts on this episode and these chapters and i'm excited to finish the book next week you know what i mean and kind of see how all this plays out so this has been really interesting to kind of like piece it out you know versus like a trade we'd be done in like two episodes you know what i mean and so this we get a little bit more time we would have been done in an episode. But I do like it. Uh, I am enjoying this uh, kind of like different feel for the episode. And I think we're kind of like three episodes in. I think we're getting our groove, you know, a little bit better <laughs> oh, yeah. on how to do these book club episodes, too, because that is kind of a challenge, you know, as well. So anyway, it's a challenge for you to want us to fucking edit it. <laughs> we're just kind of we just kind of go off and count on count on you to cut out anything that uh, sounds like shit. So. It's all good. But but you will save it for the outtake episode. <laughs> of course. You you know that that outtake episode is coming. Much to my chagrin. All right. So um, how do I wrap this up? <laughs> now Aubrey says all the things. Take it away, Aubrey. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on chapters 10 through 13 of Hellboy, The Bones of Giants. As always, you can send us a hey, you damn guys at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources on our Facebook About section and our Podbean website. As always, a special thank you to Paul from Garterhorn for the wonderful theme music. Thank you, Mark Trudell, for helping out with the reading order and just being an all-around awesome person. And thank you, John, for being really badass and editing this to make it sound good and sending me cool shit on animal crossing uh, <laughs> that was one take that was one take aubrey that was good wow you can find the podcast on podbean apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher or wherever you get your podcast from next week we are finishing up hellboy the bones of giants and reading chapters 14 through 16 or i'm going to be listening to them so you know what to do Go to your book, turn to the bookmark page or the dog-eared page, as they would do on a cheap paperback. Uh, give a fuck. Get the, get the digital and just pull up where you left off. I'm going to start the audio book where I left off and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Love the saying. Then he twitched once and his breath came no more. Oh, spooky. Oh. Oh, spooky. <laughs> That's spooky. Bones of giants. Bones of giants. <laughs>